I'm Dr. Gary Linkoff, founder and medical director of City Facial Plastics. Thank you for tuning into Face Facts, a podcast where medical professionals discuss everything related to facial aesthetics, plastic surgery, and hair restoration. Hey guys, Dr. Gary here from City Facial Plastics in New York City. We're going to talk about lip lift. We're in the thick of it here in Manhattan. A lot of craziness going on with COVID, just uh, trying to focus on what we can do to to help the community and also sort of continue to think uh, into the future. So with no further ado, so we're gonna go through actually my new page on Liplift. So it's on my website now. They're still fine tuning it a little bit, but uh, this was written by myself and and actually my wife uh, helped as well. And uh, we really wanted to educate people and not just have another you know, empty page on the internet. So to kind of uh, summarize things, and we'll go through, if you guys have questions along the way, you can ask them or you can wait until further along because there's going to be a lot of uh, answers that you'll get as we do this. So, you know, lip lift, first of all, you know, lips have been enhanced in many different ways, you know, since uh, ancient Egyptian times. Uh, everything from the way that people wore their lipstick to, you know, what they've done to try to kind of create bigger lips over over the years. So in terms of what a lip lift is, it's basically, it doesn't have to be surgical. There are non-surgical options um, as well, but it's anything to try to, usually refers to the upper lip. Of course, the lower lip is also important, but we're usually talking about a little bit more of an upper lip augmentation here. So uh, we'll go through some of the non-surgical and surgical options as well. So let's start with like the anatomy of, of the lip. I think that's a good place to begin. So you have to keep in mind that the lip is right below the nose. So when you look at the, the nasal base, that is really important, especially when you then you know, discuss surgical lip lifting. But the nasal base, it's really what defines the upper extent of the lip. So that transition point between the lip um, and the nose is right at the nasal sill, which are these little two on each side, little two kind of bumps almost that go go into the nose. And when we're doing surgery, it's important to preserve those, in my opinion. Some lip lift surgeons go into the nose, but myself and many other prominent lip lift surgeons respect that uh, demarcation of where the upper lip ends and the nose begins. The philtrum is this area right here, right down the middle, that is running from, again, the base of the nose to the cupid's bow, which is that central portion of the upper uh, red lip there. So you have the philtrum, cupid's bow right here, and then the vermilion border is this demarcation between the red portion of the lip and the white portion here. So that's considered the vermilion border, and uh, that's a very kind of important landmark um, to maintain, especially if someone just posted, I saw uh, in one of my Facebook groups about an injury that occurred of, of the upper lip. So when you're repairing those uh, lip injuries, it's very important to approximate this vermilion border to recreate it. And that's the only way you'll get that aesthetic back. So we talked about Cupid's bow, dental show, another really critical topic. I'm trying to get one of my good friends as a cosmetic dentist to do one of these Instagram lives, uh, split screens with me so we can talk about the smile and um, the teeth are really critical. So when we talk and especially when we keep our mouths slightly open, like this, in some people you see a little bit more of the um, upper teeth compared to others. In terms of the um, the dental show, a lot of patients come to me asking for more of their upper teeth to be visible. And if you look through a lot of like the beauty magazines, that's a very kind of common trait. 
And someone just said the dentist. Yeah, thank you. That that's definitely uh, on my to do list uh, to talk to him about getting that set up. And actually, I'm planning uh, on doing this type of split screen with with a couple of other specialists as well, which should be really fun. People who I respect who do things, do work that's very similar to mine. But you know, everyone, even when they're working on the face, has their own little niche uh, procedure that they do. And I think it's important to highlight that and really bring out the nuances of the these procedures so that patients can really, you know, people can understand them if they're actually looking to, to get one of these procedures. So dental show. So as we reduce this philtrum here, especially surgically, and we roll out the upper red lip, we're now exposing more of the upper teeth. And that's a really, you know, nice thing in most situations. You don't want to overexpose. You don't want the gums to be visible. But in most people, if you do a good conservative surgery, you're not really going to see that. And one of the disadvantages of doing filler is that you're bringing the lip out and down. So now you're covering up some of those upper teeth. So it's oftentimes something not discussed with lip filler, but that really is an issue that you're, you're covering up those upper teeth, which are kind of a more um, sensual, more youthful um, appearance. So the, the goals of, of a lip lift then are to enlarge the upper lip in most situations. Again, some people start with a pretty prominent red upper lip. You don't want that proportion to be way off. So the, the kind of the golden uh, ratio proportion of the upper red lip, this part to this part, the lower red lip is about one to 1.6. So in most ethnicities, genders, different people from different parts of the world, that, that proportion is true. Though there are some places um, and, and some uh, ethnic backgrounds where the proportion is a little bit closer to a one to one ratio. But very infrequently is the upper lip meant to be bigger than the lower lip. And that's um, a little bit more of maybe a modern uh, U.S. Uh, standard that's becoming a little bit more prominent, but that's not a kind of a classic look of beauty. So the next um, goal is to shorten the filtrum. We talked about that. And that's sort of the million dollar question is how much shorter do you want it? Some people ask me, well, what's the, the ideal? And it's hard to put an exact number on it because different lengths are good and, and, and look better in, in some people versus others. So if you want to talk about maybe a theoretical ideal, in women, it's about 11 to 13 millimeters. In men, about 13 to 15 millimeters. And that's, again, from the base of this columella, the base of the nose, to the cupid's bow right down the middle. That's, that's the distance you're looking for. But what I find is that oftentimes it depends on what distance you're starting at and kind of your overall proportions of the face. So it's really hard to say like, this is exactly the number that you want. I don't like when people come in saying, I want exactly this 10 millimeter distance. I mean, it might look good on them, might not look good. So we do a simulation in the office where we actually look at shortening the filtrum with sort of just like a, a manual a simulation and seeing what that might look like. And then we decide on the exact distance. But uh, you know, these numbers are just kind of estimates. They're not meant to be the, if you take someone, for example, who has a 26 millimeter upper, um, you know, this filtrum area, 26 millimeters in length, and you bring that down to 11 millimeters, they're going to look really off. I mean, it's just not going to be a good look. First of all, going to be a lot of tension on that closure, which might lead to a widened scar. But, you know, chances are that the facial proportions are going to be off. It's going to be too big of a change where others will notice that they had something done. And that's that's not good. So again, you have to keep in mind the starting length and then the other proportions of the, of the face. So now let's talk about what 
we can do with shortening the philtrum. So if you shorten the philtrum, you expose more of the upper teeth, right? So you get improved upper dental show. You can get a def more defined cupid's bow. So in doing the procedure, the way I like to do it is I really accentuate these two points here. So the, the points are running basically along the lateral aspect of the cupid's bow, and they're defining the filtral columns. And the filtral columns don't run up and down. So for people who get filler injections into the upper lip. Um, they're often, you know, getting these injections where they're recreating these columns in like parallel lines. And that's just not anatomically accurate. So the filtral columns, it's more of like triangular in shape uh, or like a, like a teepee kind of where you have um, a wider uh, base and then it narrows as you get towards the, the base of the nose. And so that's really what's being recreated. So if when doing the surgery, you accentuate these lateral aspects, you can create a bit more definition to Cupid's bow. And then of course, we're trying to improve sort of overall facial proportions. Types of upper lip lifts, let's get into that. So there are ones that are temporary, okay? And these are the non-surgical options. These include plasma lip lift, thread lip lift, Botox lip flip, and lip filler. So plasma is just one of these little plasma energy pens that you may have seen. They create these little tiny dots all around uh, the area that it's, that's being treated. And over time, those little burn marks heal up and it's meant to sort of tighten and lift the lip. It doesn't really do a whole lot. Haven't really seen much improvement with that, but it is an option. In terms of temporary lip lifts, we talked about those. Um, thread lip lifts, again, people are putting threads all around the face. Short-lived effects, in my opinion, maybe boosts a bit of collagen. Uh, but limited efficacy. Botox lip flip. So that's something that you know, is getting a little bit more popular. I think it's an option. It's, it's not an incredible dramatic improvement, but it, it's something. So basically you take um, Botox or Juveau, any neuromodulator, and you inject usually four points along the vermilion. So like see here, 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 and here, right? So just like one unit in each of those points, right at the vermilion, not deep, very superficial, it paralyzes a portion of the orbicularis oris muscle or the muscle that runs around the mouth. And in doing so, it kind of raises the, the upper red lip just a touch, maybe by about a millimeter. That's not a bad option, but just like all Botox, it lasts about three to four months, you know, then it's gone. So you'll have to keep coming back for it. Um, the injections are a little bit painful actually because it's a sensitive area. Someone just asked, preferred temporary lip lift options. So the, uh, the fourth one, which is probably the most common is lip filler. So this is something we're all familiar with, right? Lip filler is taking um, either like Juvederm or Restylane, injecting it along the lip, whether it's upper lip or the bottom lip, and also trying to create more red lip show, shorter philtrum. And someone asked, uh, do you put filler in the lower lip to even out lips after? That's a great question. So that's something I don't really go into on my page that much, so I'll talk about it now. A lot of people ask about that, right? They're saying, if you're just doing the surgery on my upper lip, then what about my lower lip? But what happens is what people don't realize is the lower lip usually is, is, is bigger than the upper lip, even if it's not totally obvious at first. And what I find also that after surgery, there's this almost like accommodation process that happens where the lower lip, in order to kind of meet the upper lip at its new location, kind of has to become more prominent and evert itself. So I find that the lower lip actually gets a little bit bigger, which is interesting. I don't think this has been reported in, the, in our literature, but I, I am finding that the lower lip's getting a little bit bigger. And so 
I would say 95% of my patients after an upper lip lift, even if it's a dramatic change, will not want that filler in the lower lip, whereas they may have asked about it beforehand. So it's very rare. I have some patients who still want lip filler even after lip lift, and those patients usually are looking for just more yeah. volume. You know, they're happy with their new filtrum, they're happy with their dental show, but they just want those bigger lips. And so we're usually putting filler then into the top lip and the bottom lip not so much just the bottom lip to even out the two. So it's a really good question, actually. Lip filler, I mean, you guys know probably a lot about that, but uh, again, it's something I offer in my practice, but a lot of people seek me out for the surgical option. But again, there are different ways of doing lip filler and they're not all the same. And uh, there's a lot of technicalities with that too. One thing I'll, I'll throw out there is that you have to know what look you're trying to create. You have to ask the patient what they want with lip filler even. And it's rare that I'm injecting into the, into the actual vermilion border, which is where a lot of people inject. And I find that that is what creates that sort of duck look where it gets projected. And most people recognize that from a distance and don't appreciate it. Um, so even though it's kind of the easiest place to inject, it just seems obvious. Oh, let me just inject into the vermilion and recreate sort of a natural, what's called a white roll. You can't recreate that natural appearance if someone has a really flat, appearance of their vermilion. They've lost that sort of um, youthful role that we all have uh, at birth. Very, very hard to recreate that no matter what you do. So that's just something to keep in mind with lip filler. So I'm injecting along the uh, dry portion of the red lip, so below the vermilion, and then also into the wet part of the lip. So if I'm trying to bring the lip out or evert it, I'm injecting a little bit further down along this junction between the, the wet and the dry red lip. And then if I'm just trying to create a little bit more volume, then I'm doing it into the dry portion of the red lip, trying to avoid the vermilion in most cases. Someone asked, do you do lower facelift, neck lift, and lip lift and eyes at the same time, or is it too much? Yeah, it can be too much. Uh, me personally, I mean, I'm not an extremely fast rapid surgeon. I like to be very meticulous and take my time. So facelift, neck lift, lip lift, sure. But I try to avoid combining that with the eyes just because I know how much time it takes me to do those other things, which could, with the lip lift, could be nearing five, six hours of surgery. And I try not to expose my patients to more than six hours of elective surgery. So if we're adding the eyes and doing an upper and the lower bluff and then, say, laser resurfacing, you're talking about a lot of time. So, you know, some surgeons are, are faster and some surgeons are still diligent about their results and others just go, go for speed and you know, throw as much as they can under one umbrella, one, one procedure and just do it all. And whether it's to reduce downtime for the patient or just just make more money, you know, I don't know which one it is, but I don't take on more than, you know, than I can handle for any one surgery. So I usually recommend splitting those up because again, if you're really taking your time and doing each procedure well, they, you know, it, the time adds up. So good question though. Now, in terms of different types of surgical lip lifts, right? So there are different types and sometimes the terminology can get confusing, similar to facelifts, right? Which we'll have another talk about that another time, but facelift surgery, so many terms and a lot of them mean the same thing. A lot of it's meant to kind of confuse patients or for people to promote their practices practices, which isn't bad, but you know, it can get really confusing. Someone asked, can a lip lift make asymmetrical lips more symmetrical? Yes. So not in every situation, but it can definitely get you more symmetrical. So for example, if the left side 
of the of the lip the vermilion border is just down compared to the right what you can do is you can design the lip lift so that you're removing a little bit more on that left side and and you know in that in that situation raising the side that's down more so you can create a little bit more symmetry but again it depends on what it is some people will say well when i smile my one side goes off to the side more than the other side can you correct that with a lip lift? The answer is no. In terms of correcting symmetry, it's for static asymmetry, meaning at rest. Once you're moving your muscles of your face, there's a lot of other activity that's going on. You can't recreate that or, or correct for that asymmetry with just a lip lift. And so what that means when someone's side of the face is just pulling more is that they probably just have stronger muscles on one side of the face than the other. And, you know, most of us have some degree of asymmetry. And again, certain types of asymmetry can be corrected with a lip lift and others cannot. Going through other types of lip lifts. So you have a bullhorn design and that you may have seen uh, on, online. And I should probably start posting this more because I actually take a picture when I do the lip lift right before I'm, we're ready to go. And I've designed the, the, the look and all of, of what, it, what it will look like, how much I'm removing. I basically will take a picture. And so I've thought about posting more of these and I probably will start doing it just so people can see what the design is. So you have the before and the after, but what was the actual marking like, you know, before you you actually cut out the, the skin. So the bullhorn basically just means it looks kind of like the, you know, the, a bullhorn um, underneath the, the base of the nose. And that's also called the subnasal uh, lip lift. And in my practice, I've kind of coined my own term L lift, and that's still a bullhorn design. And you may have heard uh, there's a surgeon out in LA, a good surgeon for lip lifts, and he calls it the modified upper lip lift. So that's also another bullhorn design. So most of the modern type of uh, lip lifts of the upper lip are all bullhorn design based. Well, someone just asked, I've seen many people having surgery to shorten the length from their nose to their upper lip. What's the purpose of this reduction? So that's exactly what we're talking about now. So the surgical upper lip lift creates that shortened distance. And what it does is a couple of things. So shorter philtrum, again, that changes the kind of overall appearance and can create more balance between say the upper, mid and lower parts of the face. It also will bring out more of the upper teeth. So then we'll have more upper, upper tooth show, upper dental show. And you now basically evert the upper red lip, so you have more upper red lip shown. So that's that's the purpose of Whoa, Jesse, um, and hopefully that answers your question. So that's exactly what the upper lip lift is meant to do. Now, Italian upper lip lift, and what is that? So that's little excisions on the sides. So you're basically sparing the central portion. Italian lip lift. It was originally designed to reduce the amount of sort of scar that you have. So the, the distance, there's not as, as long of an incision, but the downside of the Italian lip lift is you're not distributing the tension on the closure. So what you thought would help by reducing how long of an incision you're making is actually kind of hurting you because when you're closing the areas first of all it looks a bit unnatural because the center is nothing's happening at the center the excisions are here so the sides are coming up at the center nothing you know is not coming up along with it and plus the scarring ends up being worse actually because again you're not distributing the tension over a longer incision so similar concept um, to facelifting actually the thought that if we take a really short incision 
then you know maybe we can get away with it and then it's just going to be less scarring the scarring ends up being worse because you need to distribute tension over a longer incision so that can sometimes be a problem gullwing incisions are made along the vermilion so it kind of looks like the wings of a gull. No one's really doing that type of surgery anymore. That used to lead to a lot of scarring at the vermilion border, and it just looked bad. And that's one of the dangers of the next one that we're going to get into, which is corner lift. People ask me quite often, actually, well, what about let's combine the upper lip lift with a corner lift? The problem there is that your incision is right at the vermilion border. There is an internal version of it, which I don't think is effective, but the one on the outside can create an improvement to the corners. But if you don't have great scarring, then it's going to be super visible and very hard to deal with after. And so I try to avoid putting any incisions on that area. The best way to address the corners is with a, a full kind of facelift mid-face where you're really getting good lateral traction of this area. So where the corners come down after a while, they're coming down because the whole cheek complex is descending. So by repositioning it, you're able to bring the corners up. And so that's beyond what the a lip lift can do. Someone says, what if I feel like the sides of my lips go downward like frowning? Is that corrected lip lift or more like lower facelift? So that's, that's what I'm getting at. When you have that frowny kind of look and the corners are down, the lip lift will only lift what's right under the base of the nose. So if you take, right, because the incisions stop here. So if you take the sides of the incision, you kind of drop down two lines you're not gonna affect all the way out here. It doesn't mean that the upper lip is gonna look frowny or, or silly, it never does after, at least the way I do my upper lip lifts, but the only way to truly address this kind of frowny appearance is to lift the entire cheek complex, which is what a facelift accomplishes. So that's great. So we're really kind of uh, getting into the nitty gritty of it all. So we went through temporary and permanent options for upper lip lifts, right? So uh, let's go through a couple of comparisons. So we have lip lift versus lip filler, right? Who should get what and, and, and when and what's, what's the best option um, for someone? So lip filler, we talked about some of its um, disadvantages, like projecting the lip, bringing the upper lip down, covering up some of the upper teeth. The other disadvantage is that you have to keep doing it. The body metabolizes lip filler pretty readily. So every six months, people are going back and back for, for lip filler. One of the things that isn't talked about is the amount of scar tissue that develops in the actual red lip from lip filler. No one likes to talk about that, but, it, but it's something that I'm seeing in my patients who are in their 40s. They've been getting lip filler for like 10 years and they've stopped getting it, right? It's been years since they last got their lip filler, but now they still have this like fullness in their lips and they can't get rid of it and it's scarring. Imagine every time you're getting your lip filler, like 30 times during each session, there's a needle going in and out of your red lip, which is a very kind of delicate area. Each time that needle goes in, there's a tract of scar that, that forms. So over time can be a big problem. Downsides of lip, lip filler. But the upside is that it, it, for the most part, is a temporary solution. It can be dissolved. So you don't have a kind of a scar at the base of your nose, which for a lot of people um, is a plus. Lip lift, again, benefits of it. We talked about what it can do for the face, more of a permanent solution. Disadvantages, of course, the number one thing is there's a scar. Sorry, someone's asking here, can scarring from lip filler be reversed? Uh, that's a great question, not really. There's no great way to break down the scar after years that has formed in the lips. In terms of the lip lift scar, which is definitely gonna form. I mean, I've seen questions online where people have said, well, how do I get a, a lip lift with the one that doesn't leave scar? 
there's maybe one study that I saw where people were using some endoscopic approach and put it, putting a stitch through the columella of the nose and lifting the, that that's not going to last. So you can get that procedure and avoid a scar, but that's just not going to last. Now you can have the incision run into the nose, as I kind of alluded to earlier. But again, the disadvantage there is that you're lifting the lip into the nose, right? If you're cutting into the nose for the incision, so you're creating sort of an unnatural boundary. I avoid that. The scar is definitely, there's going to be a scar and there are ways to minimize that. Surgical technique matters. It's important. There are also things you can do afterwards like laser resurfacing, dermabrasion, revision surgery that, that can help. So I always tell my patients that that's the number one thing in my mind for like number one disadvantage of a lip lift and the number one thing that we're going to continue to look at and work on um, as someone recovers. So that's really important. Now, the person who asked about the rhinoplasty, so can you combine a lip lift with the rhinoplasty? And the answer is yes. You can combine them at the same time, so they can be done at the same time. The incision is far enough away, they're still close, but far enough away where you're not compromising on the blood supply. So you can have your lip lift incision, you can have your rhinoplasty, open rhinoplasty incision, and it would be fine. Someone asked, what is your experience with fat transfer to the lips? Honestly, in my practice at this stage, I'm not doing a ton of fat transfer, so I don't have a lot of experience with that. But in general, the problem with fat transfer is that you don't know what percentage of it is gonna live. Usually, we say about 40% survives, but which 40%? So you have to overcompensate with your fat to you know, get some of it to stay. You don't know which areas maybe it's gonna stay more in than others. So the risk of having asymmetry in, in a very delicate place like the lips, it just doesn't seem like a great idea to me. And removing that fat then, again, isn't so easy. Then you have to make cuts along more visible portions of the lip to get that fat out if you do have asymmetry. So I don't love that idea. Uh, another um, approach that I'm not a huge fan of is uh, lip implants, like silicone Im lip implants. I don't think they look very natural. They don't appeal to me really, and you know they can cause infections and that sort of thing, maybe even years later. So uh, that's just something I, I avoid. Some people ask, how about a permanent lower lip solution? And there is a lower lip advancement, which can be done. Again, I prefer to use it on older patients because the incisions along the vermilion, the lower vermilion is a little bit easier to deal with than the upper vermilion. It's definitely an option for more permanent increased sort of lower red lip show. And that's something that, that some people prefer um, to do. But again, I, I usually like to, to say that for you know, sort of my older population. So going back to lip lift and rhinoplasty. So whether it's a revision rhinoplasty or a primary rhinoplasty, you usually want to keep about um, three months. If you're not going to do it at the same time, I would wait about three months, whether you're doing lip lift, uh, you did the lip lift and then you want a rhinoplasty, I'd wait three months. Or if you had a rhinoplasty and then you want a lip lift, I would again wait about three months for some healing to take place. So either at the same time or three months apart is my answer. Someone said, have you had anyone not love their lip lift after they did it? Great question. So I think satisfaction rate in my practice is extremely high. I would say more than nine out of 10 patients are extremely happy. I'd say like the, for the rare patient who, you know, with, with cosmetic surgery, there's always going to be someone who's unhappy, right? I mean, it's just the nature of, of what we do, and that's part of the job. I would say the people who haven't been as happy are the ones who've maybe had some worse scarring, and usually we can make it better, but they have to sort of trust in me, trust in the process, and some people get disappointed if after their first procedure, you know, the scarring was 
worse than, than they thought it would be. The other reason is that, and I talk to people at length about all these things, all these things that could happen. And so that's why I think most of my patients are happy because the ones who don't like what I'm telling them don't end up having surgery with me. So I tell them that the corners are not going to go up as much as they want them to. And I tell them that it's a real recovery. You know, it's not, it's not filler. I mean, it, you know, there's some downtime involved and we talk specifically about that. And we can get into that uh, if you guys want. I know this is getting to be a longer session, but people are interested, so I, I'll keep going. So the answer is yes, sure. Some people aren't happy, but I do a lot of also revision surgery. So most of my patients, I would say, are happy. And then most of the revision lip lift patients are also happy. They're coming to me for a revision because either the scar is too wide, they feel a little bit too much tension from the deep scarring, or they just don't feel like they had enough of the filtrum removed. So they just, they feel like it's been undercorrected. So that's a common reason and we just have to sometimes remove more. It's not uncommon for people who don't really do lip lifts to just remove a little bit of skin, like two millimeters, and call it a day. And the problem there is that usually the scar is worse and there's like no change. And so that's that's not great. Smaz or no smaz. So that kind of gets into the next area on my page here, which is lip lift and, and a facelift. And we talked about this a little bit earlier. Basically with a facelift, yes, you want to move the smaz. And yeah, manipulation of the smaz to get the outer corner outcome, yes, exactly. So when you're doing the facelift, combining it with, let's say, a mid-facelift, because that's really how you're gonna best get to this corner and really release the ligaments. As you're doing that, you have to be manipulating the SMAS. And the SMAS is what you then secure in a more lateralized, sort of elevated and lateralized position, and that's what's gonna get that kind of corner to, to move. So, so yes, with SMAS. And someone says, in connection to my last question about combining other facial surgeries, which combination would you do for lip lift with lower facelift? Yeah, so I would do lip lift with, say, a lower or you know lower mid facelift with a neck, that's a good combination. And then in me personally, I mean, I would save the eyes for another day and then do the, the upper and lower eyelids uh, on another surgical date. That, that would be my preference for patients. But again, it's a case-by-case -case sort of situation, and uh, that's my general recommendation. So now getting into cost, right, because that's a lot of people want to know sort of what does this cost. So I can tell you what it costs in my practice and then what the average is um, around town here in New York and then other parts of, of the country. So someone says, I was undercorrected, sad because recovery and having to do over a world of difference between my first Park Avenue doctor and Dr. Gary. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, that's one of my awesome patients. So I appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, you know, people are getting lip lift surgeries by good surgeons, but they don't necessarily have a lot of experience in this procedure. And they're getting rarely overcorrected because people are scared. You know, the surgeons are scared to remove too much because everyone knows it's very hard to put the skin back. You know, other places you can put some skin back here because of the specific quality of it, very hard to replace the skin and it really wouldn't look very good. It's better to err on the side of, of doing less, but if you do too little, then you've just, you know, wasted someone's time and you've given them an incision. And so that's, that's no good either. So in terms of cost, um, in my practice now, I have a range, right? 3,500 to $5,000 and it depends on whether it's a primary lip lift, a revision lip lift, whether I have to do any additional little mm -hmm. touch up things or I've started to do, it's called a, a filtrum procedure where I'm actually getting getting into the muscle of, of the lip. So oftentimes for lip lift, it's just the skin gets removed and then we do some undermining and suturing. But there are 
indications for doing additional work on the muscle of the lip, and that gets into a different sort of discussion, but it's for people who have a really flat philtrum and they're looking to create a little bit of depth. So we can do that by kind of cutting into the muscle, separating it's a little bit more involved, so I charge on the, on the higher end of things for that. Now, there's someone in town here who charges 11,000 for a lip lift. You know, I don't think the results are any better, but the range goes up to about that much. And I would say on the lower end of things, you could probably spend about maybe 2,000, 2,500 somewhere in the country to get a lip lift, but not necessarily of the best quality perhaps, but I think good quality lip lifts are gonna start at around 3,000 and go up from there. Someone asked, is the lower facelift the same as a mid-lift? This is you know, a topic for, for another day. It's, it gets really complicated very fast, but a mid-facelift is different for, from a lower facelift. Lower facelift usually stops around here. A mid-facelift goes beyond into this whole area and it gets the nasolabial fold. There's a ligament called the zygomatic uh, ligament that has to get cut in order to allow you that degree of dissection towards the center of the face. And so they are different in that way. So great, so we talked about the cost. So now preparing for a lip lift, the main things are avoiding uh, things that will thin your blood. So like Motrin, right? You may not think that that's a problem, but you definitely wanna be off of that for ideally one to two weeks before surgery. If you're on any like more significant blood thinners, you have to let your surgeon know. Avoid um, vitamins that might thin the blood as well. There's a lot of supplements and things like that. So you just have to keep that in mind. I wouldn't drink alcohol for like three days before the surgery at least. Again, you can just have more bleeding. It is a bloody, it's a, it's a bloody area. I mean, during surgery, you can, you're not going to lose a ton of blood, but it can make surgery more challenging for your surgeon and you know, and you if you're you know awake while you're getting it. If if the blood's too thin, so something to kind of keep in mind. Someone asked, I had a rhinoplasty prior, but I'd like to take my nostrils in a bit more. Can you combine ailer? This is a great question. Can you combine an ailerplasty with a lip lift? I have done this before. I don't love it. Um, and that's because, let me explain. So when you're doing alerplasty, so either you're doing a little like wedge resection on the outside here to bring down the bulk of the ala, or you're making an incision underneath, right? Kind of going into the nose to reduce the amount of nostril that you're seeing. So those are two different sort of alerplasty approaches. For both approaches, you want to avoid being right in this crease. So directly in the crease. When I'm doing my lip lift, I'm also staying right beneath that crease. So leaving about, about a millimeter or so, maybe a little bit less, but I'm trying not to go directly into that crease. So if you're doing a procedure that involves being above the crease, right, to bring this down a little bit, and you're doing a lip lift, which is just under the crease, it's impossible, right? So that, that's not possible. We're talking about such small distances. You're inevitably gonna combine the incision. And then when you are working right in that crease, your risk of webbing goes up. So having these webs that form. So in order to prevent that, it's better not to combine those two, unless you're looking to just reduce the amount of um, space here, the amount of nostril show. So doing a reduction in that, dimension is okay. I mean, that's that's something that we can do during the lip lift. It's just that it it goes, again, it kind of like goes into this, into the nose. We talked about not going into the nose with the lip lift, but you have to go into the nose if you want to affect change on the nose. So that's where it can be done. But I would not do a wedge resection out here on the ala to reduce it at the same time as, as a lip lift, if that makes sense. So now I do prescribe certain medications that should be picked up 
before your, your surgery, you come into surgery with these medications, so an antibiotic to prevent an infection, a steroid pill to keep the inflammation down. It's still gonna swell up after surgery, but there are ways to kind of keep that swelling down. And um, a sedative is an option, so like Valium. Some people prefer to, to take uh, you know Valium um, just to kind of keep calm, keep their nerves um, uh, in check during the procedure, but most people don't need that. And also a pain, pain pill. Uh, so you can take plain Tylenol, uh, right before the procedure and then afterwards, but sometimes, um, you know, one or two Percocets the evening after your surgery and sometimes the day after help with, uh, with improvement. But again, it's not a very painful procedure to recover from at all. Most people do not take their narcotics. So we talked about what to take before surgery. Um, surgical time, it takes about just over an hour of operative time, but you usually are in the office for about three hours. So just something to budget for. And if I'm meeting someone for the first time, like we just did a video consultation, now I'm meeting them in the office, I budget for an extra hour because we have to figure out exactly how much skin we're removing and, and it takes time. Arabica post, uh, yeah, post-op, I mean, that, that could work, um, you know, to try to reduce bruising. I think it might, maybe, Andrew, you mean Arnica, but yeah, you can take Arnica to reduce bruising after after surgery, That and that's okay. Are you placed under anesthesia or what methods do you use? I use local anesthesia, so lidocaine with epinephrine. There are two injections um, on the inside of the lip, kind of like um, at the dentist, and then on the outside. So I numb this area up completely, and then on the inside, and you don't feel anything the whole surgery. It starts to wear off a couple hours after surgery, and that's when you should take a you know sort of Tylenol or something like that to ease the discomfort for the first day. Someone asked, is it possible to correct an overexcised nasal sill with a lip lift or some procedure in that area? That depends. It's difficult to do. A uh, lip lift won't necessarily do it because then you're removing more. So that's kind of a case by case scenario. You might have to find other kind of tissue sources to place there if there's been too much removed, but usually not with a lip lift. So yeah, so Arnica can help. You can start Arnica before surgery and continue it after surgery. Someone asked about hair loss, PRP, and that's definitely for another day. We're gonna have more webinars and I'll write that down, but um, there, you know, I do a lot of hair PRP and I'm a principal investigator on a whole study for that. So we'll talk about that another time. So as you recover from the lip lift, there's going to be some pinkness, some redness that can linger for weeks to months. And that's something a lot of people don't realize. They think that, you know, everyone has downtime. And when you look online, the downtime is always like a week, right? What does that really mean? I mean, you know, healing from surgery takes longer than a week, okay? There's going to be some residual swelling. Most of the swelling is better, you know, at the end of a week. Most bruising gets better after one to two weeks. Some people don't really bruise, but for the ones who do, up to two weeks. But there's going to be this kind of pinkness and redness um, that in some patients I find, even at three months, they still have some, some signs of it. So again, at that point, you can cover it up with makeup. You can start using makeup actually as early as about day 10 to 12. So the trick is to take hydrogen peroxide at about day 10, test the incision line. If it no longer fizzes, you're okay to use um, scar gel. And then once you start putting a thin layer of scar gel on, then you put the uh, makeup on top of that. So that's, that's the way I recommend it for my patients. And that usually occurs at around day 10. 
Um, and then the incision just continues to heal. Sometimes I use steroid injections as early as four to six weeks after the surgery and then every two months thereafter for as long as you need it, up to about a year because then it doesn't really do a whole lot. But that's meant for areas that are raised along the incision line or deeper areas of scar tissue. And that can help. And then in terms of like, what, what do you do when there's a scar that you're just not happy with, right? Well, when can you get it removed or worked on? So it's, um, it's a complex question. In terms of surgical revision, I wait three months. In terms of things like laser, I usually like to wait three months for anything, honestly, in terms of revising the actual scar, because I do like to give the body a chance to heal. Sometimes it doesn't look good the first two weeks, and then it starts to look great. So I think being patient is important for situations like that. But usually at three months is when I recommend either like a laser or I find that surgical excision and revision works great because now you're not removing as much tissue. So there's less gravity pull, less tension on the incision closure. So usually with the revision where you're just going after a thick scar, you can do a really nice improvement uh, to the scar that way. Um, and sometimes I'll inject steroid at the same time of the revision procedure, whether I did the original surgery or not. And I'm not doing a ton of my own revisions because most people don't need them, but for the ones who benefit from them, we're using steroid Kenalog 10 at the same time as, as I close the incision. And that really helps kind of keep the inflammation and those healing cells at bay for people who almost heal too well. Someone said, due to our current situation, how do we schedule a video consult? So good question. So video, you can DM me and I'll have my assistant reach out to you. Just send you know your phone number or, or email address. I do charge for consult fee. So video 200 bucks and in person is 300. I find that, you know, I go through a great level of detail, spend a lot of time with my patients. It's not like a five minute consult like you'll get in some offices and, and I do charge for that time. That gets applied to your procedure, so uh, it's pretty fair. The other things in the uh, post-operative setting, you uh, definitely want to avoid things that require a lot of movement of the upper lips. That's that's super important. So for, it's just so critical because those first two weeks, it really sets the 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 tone for healing so soft foods for two weeks limiting how much talking you're doing limiting you know exercise the more you can kind of keep conscious of that and and, and really stick to that the, the better the healing will be and then someone asked um do wedge resections ever heal well so and if i want to reduce just the size of the nostrils to make them smaller it could be done inside the nose going into like nasal base procedures like um aleoplasty wedge resections it kind of gets into a whole other category of surgeries but wedge resections they can heal okay but again the key is not to go into the actual uh, crease here alar facial crease is what it's called so we want to avoid going into it so some procedures like the wedge resection stay just outside of that crease like above it and other procedures like the lip lift and the nostril reduction stay just underneath it. So those are very kind of uh, critical sort of concepts and um, no trumpet playing post-op. That's absolutely right. Thanks for that. Antibiotic ointment for the first 10 days before you start on the scar gel. And we talked about limiting movements. There are stitches placed, obviously. There are deep stitches and then there are stitches on the surface. So most of the time I recommend surface stitches that are removable and because that reduces the amount of inflammation on the outside there. If you use dissolvable stitches on the outside, there's just more redness and the body has to dissolve them. So the body's attacking that area, causing more inflammation. So I try to use stitches that I have to remove. That part does not hurt. 
people worry about it, but I use very, very fine pickups and scissors and that part does not hurt at all. So again, we talked about sort of the long-term healing phase, risks of surgery, we got into most of them. I've actually never had an infection, thank God, because I'm really careful about how I set it. Even though surgery is performed in like the office setting, it's not in the operating room in my practice, but we set it up like an operating room so everything is sterile and that's really important. And then the antibiotics you take are important. And then how long until you typically see final results? So I've seen final results on a patient as early as three weeks, meaning that there was really not much uh, erythema or pinkness or redness along their incision line. And it really, like you couldn't tell that they had surgery done. Um, that's the, the earliest that you'll see kind of a true final result. And those are just lucky people because my techniques, you know, techniques the same, but you know, people heal in different ways and they take care of it in different ways. That's the quickest, three to four weeks, I would say. The longest is about a year. I mean, incisions can, and they do, remodel and change over the course of a year. So if they look great at three weeks, they're not gonna get worse at a year. If they don't look great at three to four weeks, it doesn't mean you have to really freak out and get very worried. There are things that we do to try to kind of improve it, like with the steroid injections, for example. And if we need to, we do something a little bit more radical at the 12 week mark. And then typically, you know, at a, at a year, you kind of judge the, the final result of the actual scar. Someone asked, do you have surgical area? Do you have surgical area for more extensive surgery? Yes. Yes, absolutely. So if it's a facelift, for example, with a lip lift or anything that requires deep sedation, that's done in a fully accredited operating room that we have like just down the hall from where my office is. So that's that's very, very important to, to keep in mind. Have you had any issues with scarring from a lip lift? Yeah, so I kind of mentioned this. I know this has been going on for almost 15 minutes now because there's a lot to talk about with this procedure. But we did talk about how you know scarring is the number one concern for patients and, and for me, you know, after a lip lift, it's something to be taken seriously. It can be mitigated in many ways, but it's definitely something to keep in mind. Now, Asian skin, I haven't found any worse scarring for the most part in Asian skin. I've had pretty good success. You know, I know that that's a skin uh, type that, you know, can be associated with worse scarring, but fortunately, um, it's been okay in my hand, so I uh, haven't had much problems with it. Some people ask, can I get a keloid um, in that in that area? And the answer is really, it's never been reported. So that's good news. So the central face, something about the skin actually keeps keloids away. So keloids form more on the lateral aspect and then obviously down into the neck area and other parts of the body. But it's almost unheard of to have a keloid on the central face. Where when we talk about like poor scarring at the lip lift site, it's hypertrophic scarring. It's not keloid formation and that's important. So contraindications to lip lift. So when should you not have a lip lift? So if you're on blood thinners that can't be stopped, it's an elective procedure. I would avoid it, you know, like Coumadin, for example. Um, if your philtrum is too short, so there is such a thing as having too short of a philtrum where it just looks terrible or, you know, you're risking exposing the gums and that's just not, not safe. So, um, and it can just look aesthetically very poor and can be very difficult to correct. So usually if it's um, under 10 millimeters, I've gone down to nine millimeters, but under that, um, you're not really a lip lift candidate. And again, if you're at high risk for that gum show, you also wanna avoid it. If you cannot close your mouth at rest, which I've seen from someone who came to me has had like a, you know seven or eight lip surgeries because she had silicone placed as a teenager 
in, I think it was somewhere in Russia, and then went through all these surgeries to get the silicone removed and had a lip lift and lip reduction, all these surgeries. So when she put her lips, and otherwise an attractive lady, but when she put her lips together, she couldn't close them all the way. And so if I were to do like a lip lift revision on her, that would only make that problem worse. So oral incompetence, we call it, is a reason to not have a lip lift. And then if someone has um, connective tissue disorders, that's like a relative contraindication. Average age, someone asked of lip lift patients, it's almost like a bimodal distribution uh, in a way. So you have patients from their, I would say, an average of say like 30, so 20s to, to early 40s. And then I have patients who are like into their mid to late 60s. You know, it, it kind of runs the gamut. I would say maybe average age for my whole practice is probably about maybe 40. But again, there's a wide range. The youngest I've operated on is about maybe 20. And then the oldest is like in early 70s. So uh, quite a, a wide range of patients. Do you do most of your procedures under local and sedation now as opposed to general? Yeah, very few patients are getting intubated, right? So sedation kind of runs the gamut. So if you're having deep sedation, some people would consider that general, but you don't necessarily need a breathing tube. A breathing tube, in my practice, I use for rhinoplasty, but really no other surgery is getting a breathing tube anymore because you can do a lot with um, without one. And there's a lot of issues associated with using breathing tubes, especially when you don't need them. Again, satisfaction is very high for lip lift surgery. Been kind of fortunate with that, but patients are, are very grateful. Most patients who are deathly afraid of a scar, you know, they just don't get the surgery. Most patients who get the surgery, they're so fixated on improving, you know, the lip and sort of how the lips are in proportion to everything else that they're willing to take the risk of having uh, a scar. And someone asked, have you had any patients with medium to darker skin tone develop dark scarring? What, what procedures can be done to remove scarring? So, rem so yes, um, darker skin patients can, I haven't had um, dark scarring, um, but sometimes there'll be an actual a lighter scar. So you can see that kind of contrast between the darker skin and the lighter scar. But I haven't done too too many lip lifts on on like uh, on like black skin. Um, I've done a, a few, but but not you know uh, a ton. But the ones who I've worked on have have done remarkably well. And then there's another whole category of people, uh, men, right? We're kind of fixated most of the time on like females getting lip lifts. But I've done a lot of lip lifts now on on men. Some have actually been transgender sort of reassignment surgery, and others have just been guys who either feel like they look kind of angrier from a heavier upper lip, or they just, they don't like that their upper teeth aren't visible, and you know, we've done it. And so for those cases, for men, you have to be careful of the um, hair follicles, because you can actually destroy the hair, you know, depending on the technique. So you have to be careful with that. And I find that for the most part, they do heal better because I think there's just more blood supply to the area. And that's, you know, just been, not all of them, but, you know, I would say um, you compare it to kind of all comers with, with women compared to men, men tend to heal maybe a little bit better because the, the flap is also thicker. Okay, take care, Angie. Thanks for, thanks for stopping by. Um, the flap is thicker in, in men, and so you can um, secure it a little bit better. And uh, that's really it. So my website, City Facial Plastics, dot com. Um, I have a lot of, uh, you know, before and afters on there. Feel free to take a look, send me questions. You can 
send me a photo if you want me to kind of analyze it for you. If you want a more in-depth discussion, then we'll schedule a consultation for you. And then patients coming from out of town, how often are follow-up appointments? It's a good question. So if they're able to make it back into town, then great. If they can't, then we do these kind of video follow-ups and I can talk to their physicians closer to home. So it depends. I have people who fly in from like places like Kuwait and Finland and other areas, so it, it's hard for them to always to come back. But and I, I do do dissolvable stitches for um, a bunch of them, and they, they do quite well. So it can be done. It's just not my preferred uh, method. Someone said I had a terrible lip lift. The doctor stitched the skin onto my columella, and my lip is so stiff. And I guess my question for Tess is how long ago was that? Because the stiffness can linger around for a few months. Um, usually then it starts to kind of get better. Sometimes steroid injections can help. The skin onto the columella, well, it just depends. If you remove too much, that could be a problem. It's hard to put the skin back. If it's just a scarring issue, then that you know can usually be addressed. And someone said years ago. So yeah, definitely something that, that you know, should be look, looked at. I mean, I'm happy to take a look if you send me a photo or two. You can email info at info at cityfp.com, or I guess you could send it um, through, through Instagram as well. And how can you remove the lighter scar in a lip lift? So options for removing scar would be revision surgery, so cutting the scar out, laser resurfacing, so I use a CO2 laser, that can sometimes help, or dermabrasion, which is an actual mechanical, non-microdermabrasion, but actual dermabrasion. So the kind of the old school stuff where you're taking a motorized uh, drill and you're actually taking off layers of, of skin, or in this case, scar, and, and that can really help. Those are your options for, for removing scar. Someone said, it's so stiff and my smile is ruined. Well. I'm sorry to hear that. I mean, that's 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 really unfortunate. But again, I do a lot of revision surgery, and uh, I'm happy to take a look. Uh, if there's any way I can help you, I'd be, I'd be glad to. And uh, great, so Jen says, thanks for your answers. Yeah, no problem. That pretty much covers it. So if there are other topics, uh, you know, I'm a facial plastic surgeon, and I do a lot of hair restoration surgery too. Those are my areas. I don't do anything else. So I don't do body work. So if there's a question, no problem, Tess. If there's a question you guys have, if there's a topic you want me to... Oh, hey, Yoni. If there's a topic you guys want me to cover in the coming weeks, as you know, we're still not operating in New York City because of the pandemic, so got more time on, uh, on my hands. So I'm happy to do more topics. Um, I have more coming up. I'm also going to be doing split screen uh, discussions with other surgeons. This should be interesting because especially, you know, related to face, there's a lot of complementary areas. So I might do a lot of lip lifts and I do rhinoplasty, but I have a buddy who does a ton of rhino, more rhinoplasties than I do. So it'd be nice to talk to him, for example, in a kind of a public forum. So you guys can all learn about our different approaches, how we do things, why we do things and, and kind of see how that plays out. And same, you know, can go for other other areas of, of the face and hair and things like that. Um, so really excited to share more with you guys soon.